0: Good morning, church. Uh, For those who don't know me, I am uh, the local and global missions pastor here at Knox. Uh, My name is Nestor. Uh, It's wonderful to see you again today. Uh, Are you feeling good today with the clock moving forward one hour? (laughs) This morning when um, I I woke up a little bit early, well, I I thought it was early, and it it was still a little bit dark. And, however, when I checked my clock, it's already past seven, and so I sort of hardly woke up and, and just dressed and uh, prepared everything uh, together with my wife. It's interesting because in my culture, that would not be a problem. In my culture, in my, in my country back home, uh, the roosters would crow, and you know that it's, it's, it's early in the morning. I, th- you know what? That's one of the things that I miss in my culture, in my country, back, back home. I'm not sure if you have experienced that, but around 3, between 3 to 5 a.m., the, 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 the roosters would crow, and it's, it's really noisy. Right? It's really noisy. And that's what we would be reflecting on today. Roosters, and chickens, and chicks. <laughs> but let me start with a confession. A confession about chickens. When I, was, when I was six years old, and I know I, I, this is one of the memories that I could never forget when I was a child. Back home, in my, in my home country, um, our backyard is a little bit open, and so domesticated animals, and particularly chickens, would go through our backyard. And so in one of those days, when I was around six years old, a hen and a brood of chicks, went through our backyard. Please remember that I was a child. So I gave chase, and I caught six chicks. And sadly, those chicks were never seen again. If you want to know what I did to those chicks, ask me after the service. But you know What? That's one of the memories of childhood that I could never forget because of a sense of guilt. Do you know that until now, I still could not forget that? I still could not forget what I did to those chicks. Well, of course, I was a child. And I know some of you here would have your own similar experiences with, I don't know, with animals or a little bit of cruelty as well when you were a child. But you see, I could not forget that because of that sense of guilt. And, and until now, I could not forget that. It stayed with me all these years. Friends, you know what? Guilt is such a strong emotion. Guilt is such a strong emotion. Guilt is a feeling of sadness or remorse because of past Actions. So let me ask you, who among you here has no guilt or has not experienced any sense of guilt? Guilt is a strong emotion. We experience guilt when we feel that we have broken our moral compass, our moral code. Well, in a way, we could say that guilt is our moral compass. It's, it's In a way, it's a positive thing. But at the same time, it is also a terrible taskmaster. It is also a terrible taskmaster. Well, I mean, the only way for you to reflect on that would be in Scripture, in terms of the experience of Judas and Peter. For Judas, because of his betrayal of Jesus, he ended up killing himself. And how many people who are so guilt ridden for the rest of their lives to the point that they would rather take away their lives? It's not just a phenomenon in Scripture. It's a phenomenon all over the world. Even It's a phenomenon right now with so many people who have taken their lives or who just don't want to continue living because of that sense of guilt of what they have done and the seriousness of their experience. But if you look at the other way, in a positive way, you look at the life of Peter, and for Peter, it led to repentance. Of course, he felt guilt because of his denial of Jesus, but in a way, it led to his own experience of transformation. And I I think that's the same experience that we need to look at in terms of, of, of our own guilt before God. Did it lead to transformation? Did it lead to change in our own lives? You see, when you look at the life of Peter, sometimes you would be wondering, why did Peter deny Jesus? I mean, today would be more of a character study, particularly of the life of Peter. And when we studied the life of Peter, there, there are so many amazing things about him. In the first place, he was a go-getter. He's always there at the front. And if you notice, among the 12 disciples, he's always there being given emphasis and being given focus. He's such a prominent disciple of Jesus. But one time, though, in, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 23, there was that time before Jesus entered Jerusalem with his disciples, and he said to his disciples that when I, went, when I go to Jerusalem, I would suffer, I would die, but I would be resurrected again. But it was Peter who said, no, Lord, it will never happen to you. He, he's always there at the front, just such an aggressive person. And I, I think he might be even be the life of the party during the time. But he's always there at the front, always a leader, not at the back. He's always the one who is always vocal, who is always verbose. But Jesus corrected him saying, get out of me from my front. Satan, Because that's not the will of the Father. And then in Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 to 35, Peter, uh, Jesus once again reminded them that he would die, and he would suffer, and he would die, and that the flocks would be strayed away and would be falling away. And it was Peter who said once again, Lord, no, it will not happen. And Jesus reminded him, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Again, the basic question, why did Peter deny Jesus? He was such a strong disciple. He was such a strong follower of Jesus. And so this would be the thing that we need to ask ourselves today as we study the life of Peter. Peter. Why did he deny Jesus? According to Sigmund Freud, a prominent neurologist and um, the founder of psycho- uh, psychoanalysis, he was the first one who diagnosed denial as a defense mechanism. It was Sigmund Freud. And it's true. Denial, I mean for Peter in his case, it was really a form of defense Mechanism. He doesn't want to be identified as a follower of Jesus. It was, however, his daughter, Anna, Anna Freud, who, uh, who really did a, a good study on denial. And for Anna, she postulated that denial is the result of an immature mind that is unable to cope with reality. Denial is the result of an immature mind that is unable to cope with reality. Well, it might be a strong statement, but in a way, the moment you are put in a situation where you could not accept reality, then you deny things. That's the only way for you to defend yourself or or your own psyche. It's a defense mechanism. And so why did Peter deny Jesus? But you know what? I I think I'd like to change that question, and that should not be the question that we need to ask. I think the, the question that we need to ask would be this. What's wrong with Peter's discipleship? It was not just a question of denial. It was really a question of discipleship, and that is the thing that we need to ask today. And it is the same question that we need to ask ourselves. What's wrong with our discipleship? that led Peter to deny Jesus because he was such a strong disciple, he was such a strong follower of Jesus. And, And so we would be reflecting on that question today. What's wrong with Peter's discipleship? Well, what's wrong? Primarily, Peter's discipleship was discipleship from a distance. Let me make it clear. What's wrong with Peter's discipleship? Firstly, it was discipleship from a distance. In in the verse that we have read, it speaks about that journey of suffering of Jesus when he was led into the court of the high priest. And if you would notice that Peter went, and then another I do believe that in another text, in another scriptural text, there was also another disciple. But Peter followed from a distance. And the question is, why did he just follow from a distance? Why did he not just go with Jesus? Well, of course, we go back to that basic issue that he was afraid of his life. It was a defense mechanism. He was afraid. And I, I mean, for many of us, if we are put in the same situation, we would be doing the same thing. We really don't want to be identified with Jesus because the moment we do that, we might even be Executed as well, and murdered, and killed because of our faith, because we were following Jesus. And for those three times it happened with a servant girl, with another person who confronted him, and another person who confronted him, he denied Jesus because he was afraid. Is it not our tendency sometimes to do that when when it comes to our own faith, that we follow Jesus from a distance? You see, it is easy to be a follower without any sense of obligation. It is easy to be a follower without any sense of responsibility. We, we, we could go about our daily lives, even our own plans for our lives, but not really think about what it means to follow Jesus. Because those two things are different. We are just so enamored with the things that happen to us on a daily basis to the point that we forget that there are so much obligation, there's so much obligation when it comes to following Jesus. And remember what Jesus said, you need to to count the cost of your discipleship. Are we counting the cost of our discipleship? Well, I, I mean, positively, when you look at Peter, he was there following him. The other disciples were gone. It was just Peter who followed Jesus, but he followed him in a way from a distance. But there are times in our lives that we do that as well, that we follow Jesus from a distance, that we are just so focused and enamored with what's going on with our lives that we don't have, and we don't want to have any obligations at all when it comes to our discipleship, because it costs so much, because it costs a lot of suffering, Because you need to spend your time, your energy, your giftings, and all the efforts that you would be making as the disciple of Jesus. But that's not the discipleship that Christ is wanting us to be and to have. Before Jesus was crucified, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane together with his disciples. And he asked them, pray, wake up, don't be asleep, don't don't sleep. And then Jesus went out to pray. And remember his prayer. Father, if it is possible, take this cup of suffering away from me. But nevertheless, your will be done. That is a discipleship of a son who is close to his father. That is a discipleship who is willing to take in the responsibility of the calling of his God. In a way, Jesus is actually modeling in a positive way what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. A positive modeling of being so close to God. And that is the same model and that is the same discipleship that we need to follow. It is not a discipleship from a distance. Peter, on the other hand, Would be modeling in a negative way what it means to follow Jesus from a distance. If there is that gap, we always treat Jesus at arm's length. And before we judge Peter, oftentimes we do that as well. When we are being put in situations where we don't want to be identified as Christians and as his followers, we put at arm's length our own faith. There is something wrong with discipleship from a distance. The second error of Peter when it comes to his discipleship was this. It was discipleship that is peer-based. It is a peer-based discipleship. What do I mean by that? Well, you see, Peter is always with a group. And he always acts well when he is with a group. When Jesus is there leading... When the, when the other disciples are there, he is really such a good leader. To the point that his aggressiveness could be shown during the time that before, when, when Jesus was captured, he has his own sword and he, he cut the ear of the servant. Why, but why, why, by the way, why did he not cut the, the ear of the soldier? Why the servant of the high priest? But what we could realize is this that Peter was good at only when there are other followers around. It's a discipleship that is peer-based. We are well. When we try to apply that, we are well as Christians, when there are other Christians as well. But when we are put in a situation, we, when we are the only one who could stand up for our faith, then we wither. And we fall away. That is a peer-based discipleship. That is a, a, a discipleship that is not anchored on your faith on Jesus. Let me ask you, how do you express your faith in public? How do you, how do you express your faith in the context when there are no other Christians? Are you able to stand up for, the, for, for your faith and say that you are distinct that you are a person who follows Jesus, are you actually willing to express your faith and to be identified as a Christian in the midst of an unchristian world? You see, my friends, light could only be appreciated in the midst of darkness. You could not appreciate light when, when there are other lights. Right? In the same manner, your Christianity could not be appreciated when you are with other Christians. I mean, all of, those, all of us here are lights. But light could only be appreciated when you are in the presence of darkness. And that is where God is calling us, in those places of darkness, in the public that does not recognize the presence of God in their lives. Matthew 5, 16 calls us, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That is our calling, and that is where discipleship needs to exist Friends, the mission place is not here. The mission place is out there. It's in the world that is full of darkness. It's in a world that does not even recognize Christ. And when you are in your workplaces, when we are in our workplaces, when you are with your family, when you are with your friends, do you express your Christian faith? Or do you become like them? You do as what they do. And look at Peter. In fact, in one of the scriptures, in one of the Gospels, it was mentioned that he swore and he cursed when he was pointed out as one of the disciples of Jesus. Well, some scholars would say that that's a different way of interpreting that. But in a way, when you say that he cursed and he swore, then that means that he wants to be identified with the people whom he is around with. He does not want to be identified as someone who is different I I think that's the same situation as with us as well, when we are being put in a situation where we are afraid of expressing our own faith. We do what they do. When they curse, we curse. When they swear, we also swear. When they do things that are so ungodly, we do the same thing. That is peer-based discipleship. One of the most beloved disciples, John, Reminded us in first John chapter two, verse fifteen. Do not love the world and everything that is in the world. For those who love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Christ's life would not be in you the moment you continually deny him in the presence of people who do not recognize the light. Friends, discipleship is a calling. And it's a serious calling. It's not a calling where you could just choose wherever you are, that when you are in the presence of public who are ungodly, then you could become like them as well. That is not our calling as believers of Christ. We should not follow a peer-based discipleship. Thirdly, what's wrong with Peter's discipleship is this. Well, first, of of course, we have mentioned that it was discipleship from a distance. Second, it was a peer-based discipleship. But the third thing I would like to emphasize is this, that for Peter, his discipleship was a positivistic discipleship. Let, Let me clarify that term. I am not using the term from a scientific paradigm perspective of positivism or objectivism. I'm using the term more as an orientation, as a positivist orientation. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is that we are not always in a situation where everything is well and good. We would be finding ourselves in situations of difficulties you would be finding yourselves in, in situations where you, Christians are even persecuted. And many of our missionaries are in situations where Christianity is not even recognized and acknowledged. Now, the question is, how do you follow Christ in the midst of that situation? To be having a positivist discipleship means that you are just well when everything is well that you're always counting on positive things that will happen in your life or happening in your faith. But that is not always the case. Your faith and your discipleship would be tested when there are challenges and circumstances that is contrary to God's presence in that area. How do you express your faith in the midst of challenges, the midst of problems, even in the midst of persecutions? How do you stand up for your faith? I remember this proverb which says, true character is revealed when one comes face-to-face with adversity. True character is revealed when one comes face-to-face with adversity. When you are in an adverse situation, when you are facing adversity, are you still able to express your faith in a way that is, that is according to God's purpose? Or do you fold and you fall away? And for Peter, that was the situation where in the midst of that negative circumstance, he fell away and he was just following Jesus from a distance. We need to acknowledge that our faith And conversations need to always reflect God's purpose no matter what situation we are in, whether it is good or whether it is bad. Are we able to stand up for the truth? Are we able to stand up for Jesus in the midst of all of those circumstances? Friends, there would be so many situations in your life that you would be experiencing two choices, either to follow Jesus seriously or to to deny him. There are so many ways that we deny Jesus in our own lives. When you do not express your faith in public and you, you, you are ashamed to be seen as a Christian in the midst of, an, of a world that is ungodly, then you are denying Jesus and you are doing the same thing as what Peter did. If you are living an ungodly life in the midst of this ungodly world, then you are denying Jesus. And every day we are struggling with the question of what is right or what is wrong. Every day. Remember what Joshua said to his people and, and to, to, the, to the Israelites. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Friends, I would be asking you the same question today. Choose today whom you would like to serve. Every moment and every day, you would be making those decisions when you are in your workplaces to do what is right or to do what is wrong. In the presence of an ungodly world, you need to stand up if it is this right or if this is wrong in terms of your actions. You will be denying Jesus if you do not stand up for your own discipleship. You will be denying Jesus every time you do things that are just contrary to his will. We need to ask ourselves, what's wrong with our discipleship? Are we following Jesus from a distance? Is our discipleship just a peer-based one? Or is this just a positivistic discipleship? We need to know that if we follow Jesus, we are serious about following him. Following Jesus is not just about coming to church. It's not just being in the light with other lights. It's being the light for those people who are in darkness. And I know that many of you, many of us, even I, have done so many things that are just contrary to Jesus' will. How many times have I denied Him in my own life? Not only with regards to what I have done to those chicks. But when I was mature and when I was already an adult, I have done so many things that are contrary to his will. And how many times have I cried before him saying, Lord, forgive me. And this is the place where I want us to reflect on today. I want you to reflect on the times that you have denied Jesus in your own life. But I want this to be a place of repentance we don't want to go to that to direction of Judas. We want to go to the direction that Peter took, and that is that act of repentance. And so we would like to do that today. Whatever things you have done, nobody can know it except God. But we need to, to be in a posture of repentance today. And in the Scripture, one of the best ways of showing that posture of repentance would be through kneeling. Because kneeling is an act of submission and it's an act of prayer. And it is an act telling God, Lord, I am seeking your forgiveness. And so I would be inviting you to kneel wherever you are right now. If you are comfortable staying, just sitting, then just have a posture of of, of uh, Prayer. But if you could kneel on your seats, then please do so. But we have kneeling paces that we have put here at the front. And I invite you to kneel before God and seek for his forgiveness for the things that you have denied him during those times. And so I invite you, kneel with me. Let us be in the presence of God and let us kneel before him. And then we will pray together. I will invite you now for a time of of kneeling, for a time of submission. And the place is before you right now. I invite you into this place. all we surrender our lives before you Lord God and all the times that we have been so enamored with this world that we have loved the world we ask for your forgiveness during times when we have not stood up for you and denied you and claiming that we are not your followers we ask for your forgiveness Lord God Lord during times when We have done things that are just so egregious before you, and so contrary to your will. We ask for your forgiveness. Father God, I bring before you your people today as we kneel together, as we come before you in this posture of repentance, Lord God, we ask for your forgiveness. Whatever sins each one committed, Lord God, I pray that you would cleanse us and you would cleanse them from all unrighteousness and make them new, make them whole before you. Lord God, unite us as your church and as your body to come together as your disciples and follow you truly, Lord God, without any compunctions, without any questions, but truly following you in all things and in all manner. In the name of your son Jesus, who gave himself for us, we ask for forgiveness.
1: Amen.